Welcome to Unscriptured. I'm Amy, and together we will untangle the Bible, breaking it down as we go. My hope is that this podcast will take away some of the anxiety and the fear that we have when we approach Scripture. Through each episode, we will learn some of the background and the thought that went into the stories contained in our Bible, so that it's no longer intimidating or even off-putting to crack open Scripture and jump right in. Just to catch you up, in our last episode, we followed the course of humanity after the flood. We watched as people continued to resist their creatureliness and God's creational commands. Despite our shortcomings, however, God found a way to carry the relationship forward, choosing to call and invest in one man named Abram, through whom the whole world will eventually be blessed. We continue his story today. Let's start with Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. He journeyed on by stages from the Negeb as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them living together, for their possessions were so great that they could not live together. And there was strife between the herders of Abram's livestock and the herders of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites lived in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herders and my herders, for we are kindred. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Lot looked about him and saw that the plain of the Jordan was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the plain and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. In our last episode, we met Abram, the man through whom God has chosen to bless the whole world. God had promised him three things, land, offspring, and blessing. Already, Abram has gained numerous possessions and livestock, So much growth has occurred for him and for his nephew Lot that they find they can no longer live in the same place together. The land just will not support them. So it is decided that Abram and Lot must separate. But we must remember that Sarai, Abram's wife, is barren. They have no children, and Lot is the only apparent heir of Abram's. To separate households means to give up on Lot inheriting Abram's estate It is not unheard of for them to divide their possessions and settle separately. 
Historically, quarreling among nomads over pastures and wells for their cattle was commonplace, and it was common for families to separate. But this situation is different. It appears that the divine promises are once again called into question. Who will become Abram's heir if it's not going to be Lot? Despite the uncertainty of the promise and the quarreling between uncle and nephew over land and space, Abram is actually quite generous to Lot, offering him the first choice of land. Lot, however, is implicitly disrespectful by taking the choice rather than yielding to his elder. Lot chooses what appears to be the best land. This land is compared to the Garden of Eden and to the land of Egypt. These two fertile lands are also places of transgression, though. The Garden of Eden was a place of disobedience and curse, and Egypt was a place of exile and oppression. The fact that Lot chooses this land is a foreshadowing of what's to come. And we hear that. We hear that foreshadowing in the last verse, verse 13 of that section, which says, Now the people of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Let's continue with Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 18. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Raise your eyes now, and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Rise up, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. After Lot separates from Abram, God reiterates the promises of land and offspring. This time, however, God adds the word forever, intensifying the promises. There are a few explanations for why God keeps repeating the promises to Abram. Perhaps Abram needed the reminder, since so much time passes between that initial promise and when it will actually be fulfilled. Perhaps Abram, although righteous and faithful, experiences moments of doubt, especially when it looks like the promises are put in jeopardy. And perhaps we, the readers, we need to be reminded that God's promises still stand, no matter our doubt or our questioning. In these verses, Abram waits until the Lord tells him to look about the land before he does so. Abram stands in marked contrast to his nephew Lot. Lot was impatient, looking about the land himself and ultimately settling in a place that will be destroyed within his lifetime. On the other hand, God gives Abram his land forever. And Abram's response is to build an altar and to worship the God that he follows. Let's continue Abram's story as we enter Genesis chapter 14, verses 1 through 16. In the days of King Amraphel of Shinar, King Ariok of Elasar, King Chedorlaomer of Elam, and King Tidal of Goyim, these kings made war with King Bera of Sodom 
King Bersha of Gomorrah, King Shinab of Adma, King Shimabur of Zeboim, and the king of Bala, that is Zoar. All these joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the Dead Sea. Twelve years they had served Chedorlaomer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him came and subdued the Raphaim in Ashtaroth Kinnaram, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shava Kiriathim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran on the edge of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to Anmishpat, that is Kadesh, and subdued all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites who lived in Hazazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Balah, that is Zoar, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Siddim, where King Chedorlaomer of Elam, King Tidal of Goyim, King Amraphel of Shinar, and King Arioch of Elasar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who lived in Sodom and his goods, and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eskol and Aner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his nephew had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and routed them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the goods, and also brought back his nephew Lot with his goods, and the women and the people. Genesis chapter 14 opens with a battle report. Four kings from the east go to war against five other kings who had rebelled against their rule after many years of subjugation. In the process of waging war against the rebellious kingdoms, the eastern kings conquer six other groups of people along the way, including Abram's nephew Lot. These six groups are peoples that had already been promised to Abram by God. When Abram hears this report, he takes his trained men and joins forces with other allies, pursues the kings to the vicinity of Damascus, and brings back all that had been captured, including Lot. Abram is once again in control of the promised land. This episode shows that the promised land was put into jeopardy once more, but that God's promises remain steadfast. It also demonstrates that Abram is skilled in battle. You see, with only 313 men, he defeated the greatest Eastern alliance, pursuing them all the way to Syria. We'll continue with Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 24. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, 
that is the king's valley. And King Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him one-tenth of everything. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord, God most high, maker of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, so that you might not say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten, and the share of the men who went with me, Aner, Eshgal, and Mamre. Let them take their share. This section of Genesis chapter 14 contains an account of Abram's interaction with the priest king of Salem. Salem is a shortened form of Jerusalem. Melchizedek, who is both king and priest of Salem, confers a blessing on Abram. It is the blessing of God Most High, maker of heaven and earth. In response to this blessing, Abram gives a tithe, one-tenth of everything, to Melchizedek. This story, therefore, may have been included here in order to establish the antiquity of Israel's holiest site and the priestly and royal dynasties associated with it. Of interesting note is that Jerusalem, or Salem, is never again mentioned by name in the Torah, the Torah being the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, following his tithe to Melchizedek, Abram interacts with the king of Sodom, who asks that Abram keep all the spoils from his military campaign, except for the people that he redeemed, which included Abram's nephew Lot. But Abram refuses, revealing that he has sworn an oath to God that he would not take anything that isn't his to begin with. These words from Abram underscore his exemplary faith in God. In Abram's view, the true hero of the campaign, that military campaign, is not himself or even his armies, but the Lord. Therefore, the spoils are not Abram's to take and to keep. Abram's response to the king of Sodom is also a moment of grace. He refuses to enrich himself and take control of a land and a people that had already been given to Lot in Genesis chapter 13. With that, we transition into Genesis chapter 15. This chapter finds Abram with a lot of questions about the promises God had given him just a few chapters earlier, promises of offspring and land. What I love is that Abram is not afraid to express his doubt and ask these questions to God. What we have in this chapter is the first recorded conversation between God and Abram. With each question and doubt, God responds with grace, with reassurance, and a covenant that guarantees its fulfillment. So let us continue with Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, 
your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abram begins this chapter by questioning God's promise of offspring. You see, Abram still doesn't have a son, an heir of his own. Abram's childlessness draws our attention again to Sarah's infertility and to the pointlessness of all Abram's recent financial and military success. He has no one to share his wealth and growing nation with. But God reassures him that his heir will be his very own son, not a slave born to his household. God's promise, however, leaves open the identity of the mother and sets the stage for the conflict between Sarah and Hagar just a few chapters from now in Genesis. Abram responds to God's reassurance of the promise with trust. It is not faith without evidence, but rather faith that takes God's word as sufficient. In the Tanakh, faith does not mean believing in spite of the evidence. It means trusting in a person, in this case the personal God, who has reiterated his promise. We'll continue with Genesis chapter 15, verses 7 through 21. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, that your offspring shall be aliens in a land that is not theirs, and shall be slaves there, and they shall be oppressed for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your ancestors in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, 
the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. In these verses from Genesis chapter 15, God reveals God's self to Abram. This self-identification echoes the way that God will reveal God's self in Exodus. Here, God says that God is the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Later in Exodus, God will be the Lord who brings the people out of the land of Egypt and into possession of the promised land. Abram questions God's promises of land, however, but the Lord responds by inviting Abram to make a sacrifice of a heifer, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Abram sacrifices these animals, splitting them in two, but he does not bring fire to them. This cues us that something is going on here beyond just a mere sacrifice. The ceremonial splitting of animals is an old rite that seals oaths or covenants. The symbolism of this act seems to be that the party passing between the parts will die, just like the animal, if it breaks the oath. What we discover when the sun goes down is that God is the one passing between the split animals. This is highly unique. In an act of self-imprecation, God in effect puts the divine life on the line, writing the promise in blood. The promise is that Abram's offspring will become a great nation and will inherit the land that God is promising to Abram. But it will not be an easy journey. Like the birds of prey swooping toward the carcasses of the severed animals, horrors will befall the people of Israel. Abram himself will not see the land, and his descendants will only do so after considerable delay. Slavery in Egypt and wandering in the desert are their future. The other interesting note about this rite is that nothing is said of any covenantal obligations that Abram is to fulfill. This type of covenant is called a covenant of grant, which is a reward for past loyalty, and it does not involve any obligations upon the grantee. In essence, Abram is rewarded with this covenant because of his trust in God. We conclude this chapter with a description of the promised land. These are the most extensive borders of the promised land given in the Tanakh, and they reflect an ideal that was never actually realized. Although the Israelites will eventually take possession of the land, they will never inhabit it to the extent described here at the end of Genesis chapter 15. In our next episode, we will continue to walk alongside Abram to see just how the divine promises of land, people, and a great name or blessing will come to fruition. It will not be without some doubt and human scheming if you haven't guessed it already. We'll catch you next time on Unscriptured. The resources which helped make this episode possible include the HarperCollins Study Bible, the Jewish Study Bible, and the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary. For more details on how those resources shaped this episode, I encourage you to check out my website, www.unscriptured.wix.com slash Bible study.